uh, Revelation chapter 6. And I'll tell you what, if you don't mind, uh, let's stand and we'll read a few, pa- a few verses from Revelation chapter 5 to bring us back up to speed uh, from our message on Sunday morning. And uh, then we will jump into our passage tonight. In Revelation 5, in verse 9, the Bible says, And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Tonight we're going to begin to unravel that scroll that we saw in Revelation chapter 5. Who is worthy to open that scroll, to open that book? There is only one. And that, that person is Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to begin to, uh, to look at those seals uh, that, that Jesus begins to unveil for John in this vision. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time that we have to set aside in our week to praise you first. And Lord, to look into your word and, and make application to our lives. Lord, as we look into uh, this prophecy that is yet to come, I pray that you would teach us that you would guide and direct our thoughts uh, tonight. Lord, help us to see something uh, that you want us to see. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give me the words that that you once said tonight, and we'll give you the praise for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated tonight. Uh, We are going tonight uh, from the heavenlies of chapter 4 and 5 to the horrors of chapter 6 and beyond. It's going to be a shock to the senses. I can only imagine John, who had this vision, who was, who was swept up to see this vision, that saw the vision of the heavenlies, and now all of a sudden is having this, this secondary vision of what is to come here on earth. And he goes from this vision, of awe-inspiring vision of Jesus Christ, and, and these millions of saints and, and angels around singing, worthy is the Lamb. And all of a sudden, he has now turned his attention to what is going to happen here on earth. We're going from the heavenlies to the horror. We're leaving this place of worship and we're entering the pages of wrath. We go from praise and shouting to pain and suffering. We're going from overflowing joy to overwhelming judgment. Uh, this time of the, what we call the tribulation is written in about 60 different places throughout Scripture. In fact, Jeremiah said, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel described it in Daniel chapter 12. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. 
Jesus himself, while he was on earth, he says, For then shall the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, in Matthew 24. For the saved, their debt was already settled by Christ on Calvary. But for the Christ rejectors, they are about to pay for their own debt with plagues and judgments and tribulations. The seals are beginning to be opened. And when the seventh seal is opened, the trumpets will begin sounding and the judgments are coming one after the other. And then after the seven trumpets are sounded, the bowls or the vials will be poured out on this earth. There was only one worthy to open the seven seals and that's Jesus himself. In this passage of Revelation chapter 6, we are going to see a stampede of horses. We see these horses, we know them as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they're mentioned several different times in Scripture. And we see a white horse. And just about the time that people begin to see this white horse and they have a calm in their spirit, they are stampeded by the horses that follow after this white horse. The red horse and the black horse and the pale horse. There's going to be a stampede of horses that are a picture of the things that are to come on this earth. Many believe that this is just chapter 6 is an overview of the tribulation. Uh, some would say that this is the beginning of the tribulation. I uh, tend to think that, that chapter 6 gives us an overview of all of that tribu- tribulation period, that seven-year uh, period, as we uh, get a snapshot of what is to come. Chapter 6 kind of gives us that snapshot. Uh, if you're watching a movie, sometimes you see a, a trailer that uh, tells you a little bit about what is to come, and then uh, all of a sudden you watch the movie, and, and yes, it gives you a picture, but it doesn't give you all of the details. And over the next number of chapters, chapter 7 through chapter 19, we're going to continue to see these judgments just raining down uh, on the people that are still here in this earth. So I look at this as a snapshot, uh, giving us a view of the tribulation so that we get a perspective of what is to come in the following uh, chapters. I would equate it to Genesis. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, we, we, we see the days of creation. And if you remember Genesis well, Genesis 1 talks about day number 6 being the creation of man. And on day number 6, it says that he created man, he created them, male and female created he them. But then in chapter 2, it begins to give more of an understanding of how Adam was formed and how Eve was created. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that Adam and Eve were created on day number 6. They were created by by God on day number 6. But chapter 2 gives us more detail about what happened in that day number 6. I believe that this chapter, chapter 6, is a snapshot, a trailer of what is to come throughout the entire tribulation. But it doesn't take away from what is about to happen as we look in chapter 7 through 19 and as Pastor begins to teach us exactly all of the judgment that is going to rain down through those trumpet judgments and through those bowl judgments that are literally poured out. But this gives us a quick perspective. Let's jump in with the time we have remaining and look. Look at chapter 6, verse 1 it says, 
And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Who was that Lamb? It's Jesus Christ. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer If you're taking notes tonight, write down, would you, uh, the white horse of deception. Number one, the white horse of deception. A man on a white horse. Who is this man that is riding uh, the white horse? Well, white is generally associated throughout Scripture with the holiness of God. Uh, We see that throughout Scripture, white is often associated with the holiness of God of God. But I believe that this is not Jesus himself riding on a white horse. In fact, Revelation 19 will teach us about Jesus riding in on a white horse. But this is another one that is riding in on a white horse. This is the anti-Jesus. This is the anti-Christ. And I think there's three reasons we could point to to know for sure that this isn't Jesus coming in here. This is the anti-Christ. First of all, who opened the seal? Uh, Who opened that first seal that we see? Well, it was Jesus. It was the Lamb. Uh, John teaches us about that Lamb in John 1.36. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb opened the seal. It can't be the Lamb opening the seal and also riding in at at the same time. Uh, I believe that Jesus is opening these seals here rather than riding in on the white horse at this time. There is coming a time uh, that Jesus will ride in. I also believe that, that when you see that the rider has a bow, a bow in his hand, he, the, the, Jesus is coming back someday, but he will not need a weapon in his hand. In fact, Revelation 19.15 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it should smite the nations. Isaiah gives us a little bit more of a context to that. Jesus will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Jesus doesn't need a weapon that that we think of in earthly weapons. Jesus has the very words of God that can that can allow these judgments later on in Revelation. The rider has a bow. Jesus opened the seal. But the rider is also given a crown here. There are two Greek words that are used for crown. We remember the stoning of Stephen back in the book of Acts. Stephen was stoned. Stephen was that first martyr. He would, we get from that the Stephanus crown. And that's always associated with humanity, that crown. When we think of the Olympics or the Greek games, a crown was often given and it was, it was leaves sewn together. That was an in, a corruptible type of a crown. Well, when it talks about Jesus having a crown in Revelation 19, it talks about him having many diadem crowns. The word diadem is always associated with deity. It is not associated with humanity. It is associated with deity when jesus rides in on that white horse he's going to have crowns that are that are diadem crowns their deity it is not jesus riding in here on revelation chapter 6 it is the anti-jesus it is the anti-christ in my opinion that is riding in on this white horse 
I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. He went forth conquering and to conquer. But notice here that this bow that he's riding with, that there's no arrows. At this time, there's no arrows. He's got a bow, but he's got no arrows. He, he will be ushered into power, not through conquering yet, uh, but through peace. He, he will be making a, a peace pact with Israel. He will be solving problems here on this earth. He has a bow in his hand, but he has no arrows. He had a, has a crown that is given to him by man. Number one, he is a man of peace. He is a man of peace. He conquers the world without one bullet fired. He conquers the world without one drop of blood that is spilled. He conquers the world without even firing a missile at this time. He conquers the world with a peace pact. He'll come riding in on a white horse with all of the answers to the problems that the world has faced for years. Daniel chapter 8 says, A king of fierce countenance. And his power shall be mighty, and by peace shall destroy many. You know, our world is constantly seeking peace. And our world will continue to seek peace. And countries are all, always on edge about bringing peace. And this incredible personality is going to come on the scene. And, and he's going to seemingly have all of the answers to all of the problems that we've been facing. Especially bringing peace to the Middle East. And by peace, he is that man of peace. But it says, and by peace, he shall destroy many. He will bring in that peace pact, but he will come not to bring peace, but ultimately to destroy. Uh, he's a man of peace, but secondly, he is a man of power. He is a man of power. Verse 2 says he went forth conquering and to conquer. He comes onto the scene and he, he signs this seven-year peace treaty. Uh, but in the midst of this seven-year peace treaty, three and a half years into it, after rebuilding the temple, after reinstituting the sacrifices, in the middle of this seven years, three and a half years in, he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. In Daniel chapter 9, it talks about the oblation ceasing, and he'll commit the abomination of desolation. He will literally set himself up in the temple, not, to, not, to be king, not just to be an earthly king, but to be God himself, to be worshipped. And this Antichrist is setting himself up to literally be worshipped. He brokers this peace treaty. He solves the world's problems. He's given this crown. He's given the authority. A crown is given to him. He'll be looked at for leadership. He'll be looked at for guidance and governing. He'll be ultimately looked at not just to be an earthly king, but he'll be looked at as God because there is a strong delusion. People will not recognize him for who he is. They will recognize him as this dynamic leader that has come on the scene and that can lead us into peace. And all of a sudden, as he sets up his own kingdom in the very temple that he has reinstituted, he is now not being, being praised and crowned, but being worshipped. He is a man of peace. 
He is a, a man of power. Uh, but in three and a half years, those arrows that were missing are going to start uh, flying. John 5, 43 says, I am come in my Father's name, and ye received me not. If another shall come in his own name, Antichrist, him ye will receive. And we see here uh, that the people are receiving him. He, he's a man of peace. He's a man of power, but he's also a man of pretense. Number three, he is a man of pretense. He feigns himself to be a uniter, a, a peacemaker. But 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says, When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. He's seemingly a hero on a white horse. Uh, when we think of somebody riding in on a white horse, we think of those Western movies. And, and typically, the rider on a white horse, he's the good guy. Uh, he's the one that is ushering in peace. He's the one that we want to praise. Uh, but he turns that, and all of a sudden, he's not the good guy any longer after he's given that authority, after he's given that uh, crown. He, he's no longer come uh, to the rescue. Second Chronicles says, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And, and this Antichrist has transformed himself to be the great peacemaker, to have the power, but it's all under pretense. He is not what they hoped that he would be. Let's see the next horse. In verse 3 it says, when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Number two, the red horse of destruction. The red horse of destruction. The second horse and rider appear on the scene. This horse is red, blood red, fire red. Fire has the power to devour and to destroy. And when the fires of this war are unleashed upon the earth, there will be bloodshed on, the, on an unprecedented level. A time of war such as the world has never seen. Obviously, number one, the peace is broken. Uh, the peace is broken. Verse 4, and there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. To take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. War breaks out all over the world. Christ said in Matthew 24, verse 4, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. The great tribulation period. First Thessalonians says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape you see the antichrist he, he's coming in announcing peace but he's announcing peace when there's not going to be any peace he's announcing peace to a world that is starving for this peace pact and they they want to follow after this peace 
But what they don't see is quickly behind this white horse are, are more horses that are coming and they are destruction. And this red horse comes in quickly as this stampede of horses begins to overwhelm all of the earth. And this white horse that they thought that they, they could go up and pet because he's got peace and safety, all of a sudden they didn't realize there's a whole stampede of horses coming at the earth that they didn't see behind him. And this stampede of horses, this red horse, and, and others are going to come in and begin attack, attacking. This promise of peace becomes a reality of war. Romans 3.17 says, The way of peace have they not known. You know, God actually did send a peace treaty one time. He sent a peace treaty that was wrapped in flesh and blood, and we called Him the Prince of Peace. The, the delivery was announced with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But man tore up that peace treaty. Man shredded the Prince of Peace. Man crucified the person of peace. And until Christ comes back to set up His kingdom, war will continue until war itself is personified. Uh, mounted on the blood-red horse, gallops into town and ushers in the apocalypse. You see, man wants peace, but will never achieve long-term peace because we have an inability to have inward peace. Because without Christ, we cannot have inward peace. James 4.1 says, From whence comes wars and fightings among you, among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You know, tonight, apart from Christ, you can't have peace. You can't have peace without Christ. And the closer you are to Christ, the more that you will have peace in your life. The closer you are in a relationship with Him, you can have that peace that passes all understanding. Because He is the Prince of Peace. And if that Prince of Peace is speaking truth into your life, it doesn't matter what circumstances are waging on the outside. It doesn't matter what circumstances are happening to you day after day. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis was. It doesn't matter what that conviction was. It doesn't matter if you're heading down the path of divorce. If you're drawing closer to Jesus Christ, He can bring peace into your life. Very practically tonight. Do you have that peace that passes all understanding? Do you have that peace that no matter what those circumstances are, you know that you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace? Is your marriage identified by the peace that's in your marriage? Are your relationships identified by peace that are in your relationships? Is your life identified by peace? Because the closer we are to Jesus Christ, the more that we will have peace in our life. Jesus provides that peace. Verse 4, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. The peace is broken. And there was given unto him a great sword. Number two, the planet is brutalized. The planet is brutalized. We see this great sword. It was a wide-reaching sword. It's going to be a global devastation. The peace will be broken and the planet will be brutalized. 
Uh, the world war won't be confined, confined to just one area, say Europe or just Asia or just Africa. It's going to be a great sword. It's going to be wide-reaching sword that the Antichrist is swinging. It's going to affect the entire map. It's going to affect the entire globe. It's going to include all nations. Never has there been a war that includes every nation of the world, but this war will include every nation of the world. Zechariah 14 says, all nations will be against Jerusalem to battle. The peace will be broken. The planet will be brutalized. But look in verse 5. We see another seal that is going to be open. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. Can you just imagine, John, here? I've just seen the scene of heaven. And now I'm beginning to see, see all of this scene of destruction. And he's being told once again, come and see. I can only imagine John is like, no, I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to see anymore. I've seen enough. Take me back to the vision of heaven. But it says, he says, come and see. We see here in verse, in verse 5, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. We see the white horse of deception, the red horse of destruction, but number three tonight, the black horse of destitution. The black horse of destitution. What we're beginning to see here is a famine that begins to overwhelm the land. We see from peace to war to poverty and famine. It's destitution, the likes of which you've never seen before. Many of us have seen commercials. Some of you have traveled to third world countries and you've seen real poverty. You've seen real destitution. You've seen people that are malnutritioned. But in this time, it's going to be a worldwide famine. It's going to be approximately seven, or right now there's approximately 700 million malnourished in the world today. But at this time, it's going to be much of the world's population, billions of people, that are experiencing this famine. We see wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. This is the staple products of the people, wheat, barley. Wheat is something that is used for a staple product. Barley is something that if you don't have much money, you can get some barley. It's not as healthy as wheat. And they were to weigh out a pinch at a time. In fact, the measurements proportion given show enough for one meal. One meal, and it costs a penny. You thought, well, that, that, that's not too expensive, only a penny. But wait a second, in Bible times, a penny was one day's pay. To get just one meal, it's going to cost one day's pay. So imagine here, people are working trying to be able to sustain themselves and for one day's pay, they can get one meal. No wonder this famine is overspreading the land. But can you only imagine after this worldwide war begins to break out, 
No wonder there's going to be a famine in the land. It would naturally follow that famine, or our famine would naturally follow that war. Imagine these people, they're struggling just to get by. But it's interesting here that the Bible says that in verse 5, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse, he that sat on him with a pair of balances. I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and wine. Say, Pastor Steve, what does that mean? It means that in war, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Those that are wealthy, those that are whining and dining with the Antichrist continue to obtain wealth. And they're able to, uh, to accumulate wealth while at the same time uh, there's a worldwide famine that's affecting the entire world. All, the, the majority of people are experiencing this famine and there's a few elite people that are getting wealthier and wealthier uh, during this time because they are following the Antichrist. They are close uh, to the Antichrist. And most people can't get food and these people are continuing uh, to get richer. You know, the reality is that's a physical famine that is going to happen. But many would say that today we are experiencing a famine in our world, a spiritual famine, a spiritual famine. Amos chapter, or chapter 8 verse 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of of the Lord. Famine of hearing the words of the Lord. It doesn't say there will be a famine of churches. It doesn't say there will be a famine of Christian radio. It doesn't say that there will be a famine of people preaching topics and issues. There will be a famine of the words, hearing the words of the Lord. The reality of the famine today is a spiritual famine. Uh, churches may be flourishing, but churches that teach the whole counsel of God uh, will be rare. Pop psychology and self-help become the norm of the day. Uh, there, are, there are others on the other side that are screaming the Bible, but they're not teaching the whole counsel of the Word. Very few churches are teaching all Scripture, verse by verse, every word that proceedeth out. In Amos 8, it says in verse 12, and they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Uh, they're jumping place to place. They're jumping uh, church to church. They're jumping conference to conference, trying to find the truth because they're not hearing the words of God. Uh, in verse 13 it says, In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst thirsting for the very words of God. And very practically tonight, I'm thankful for a place like Rosedale Baptist Church where the words of God, the whole counsel of God is taught week in and week out, that we can come in and grow, we can come in and soak in, not the words of a man, but the very words of God. And don't miss out on the spiritual appetite that we should all have. We're fed a steady diet of spiritual truth week after week. Don't miss a service because we are starving in our society for truth. And because of that lack of truth, man, the, the words of God are that much more important in our lives. Uh, let, let's soak in that spiritual uh, truth. 
You know, truthfully, we drive for everything that we don't need while ignoring the very thing that our soul desperately needs. Our society teaches us drive after wealth, drive after power, drive after uh, prestige, uh, but we need a gospel-centered life. Look in verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And number four tonight, the pale horse of devastation. The pale horse of devastation. Death and hell. Literally hell poured out on earth. Death and hell followed him. Imagine now one-fourth of the world's population being killed, being brutalized. His name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. I believe that a fourth part of the earth is going to be be killed at this time. Uh, How many people is that, Pastor Steve? Well, in in 1804, it, it took from the beginning of time to 1800 for the world's population to be at one billion people. Uh, From 1800 to 1930, it it went from 1 billion uh, to 2 billion. About 30 years later in 1960, we now are at 3 billion people in our world's population. From 1960 to 1974, we're picking up pace, and now we're at 4 billion. From 1974 to 1987, now we're at 5 billion. Then in 1999, we crested 6 billion. In 2011, we crested 7 billion. And in the next year or so, we will crest 8 billion people of the world's population. And this passage tells us if, if this were to happen, today that 2 billion people are going to perish because of this devastation, because of this pale horse that is riding. The devastation is going to be so widespread uh, throughout the tribulation uh, that 2 billion people are going to perish uh, because of hunger, because of death and disease and pestilences and plagues, because of the beasts of the earth. Uh, We're going to get into that more later, uh, but they're going to be household pets because of famine and disease that turn against their owners. Many believe that some of these beasts are rat infestations throughout the entire world that can still be a part of the world. There are many, many rats that will be there. But all of these things are happening and two billion people will be destroyed. Hunger and beasts and death and also the sword is waging. We see these four horsemen that are coming in. It's a grim scene that we're seeing. As the the world is being overtaken by some terrible judgments. But it goes on. It goes on in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. 
I believe this fifth seal is the martyrs that were slain. Understand that these are the people that were saved in the first three and a half years. You remember, we have a seven-year tribulation time. In the first three and a half years, there's going to be that feigned peace. And then the judgments will really, that wrath is coming in in that last three and a half years. And during that first three and a half years, there's going to be many people that are saved during that time. But they will be killed. If you don't take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell, you will be killed. How will you be killed? Quite literally, the sword. Uh, the sword you will be killed. In fact, later in Revelation, in chapter 20, verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded, that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. It, it, these people were literally beheaded. And I think in our society today, over the past decade, we can visualize exactly what that's going to look like. And these people that became Christians during this time, these first three and a half years, are going to be, be beheaded for their faith. They're going to be killed for their faith as the sword from the Antichrist continues to wage, continues to bring down slaughter. We see in verse 10, they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. It's going to continue throughout the entire tribulation period. Look at the last seal in chapter 6. There's a seventh seal coming a little bit later, but this last seal of natural disasters. Verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Natural disasters are going to become a regular occurrence during this tribulation times. Meteorites, earthquakes, landscapes are literally changing. It's almost like when Korah, Dathan, and Byram have having that earthquake split and swallow them up. But this earthquake is going to be the entire planet. Look in verse 15, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty man, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? These people are looking around for answers. They're looking around for a Savior. They're looking around for someone to take them away from these judgments. And so they're looking to Hollywood. They're looking to the world leaders. They're looking to the wealthy. But they can't find them because they're all hiding in caves. All of the ones that should be saving the world's population have run off and they've hidden in caves. And they're so afraid that they're literally asking for the mountains to fall on top of them 
to take their own life because they don't want to face these judgments any longer. But there's coming one. Another one that's going to ride in on a white horse. And when he rides in on a white horse, it's going to be a different day. And when that second coming of Jesus Christ appears... Man, it's going to be a different day. And He's going to set up His kingdom. And and Jesus is going to come in with those incorruptible crowns. And Jesus is going to be able to set up His throne and rule forever and ever. And Jesus is the one that we should be worshiping today. Jesus is the one that we should have that relationship with. Can I encourage you tonight that this is a bleak scene. But I believe that we will not be here if we have trusted Jesus as our personal Savior. If there's someone in here tonight that is never started a relationship with him can I encourage you tonight to make that decision can I encourage you that tonight should be the night so so that you keep yourself away from that wrath that is to come can I encourage you Christian you have a relative you have a friend that you're concerned about but we get so busy in our lives that we go on without telling them about Jesus we don't spend time praying for them for their salvation. Can I encourage you tonight as we, as we join together in a closing prayer, can I encourage you Christians to spend a little bit of time just praying for that one that God has on your heart. Praying for that relative. Praying for that friend that you would have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That God would open their hearts of receptivity. Uh, that they would trust Christ as their personal Savior. We don't want anybody uh, to go through this judgment. And we have the answer tonight. And it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace.